The New Frontiers in Functional Medicine podcast is proudly sponsored by Designs for Health. Designs for Health is a family-owned professional brand offered exclusively to healthcare professionals and their patients. For over 25 years, they have been the healthcare professional's trusted source for research-backed nutritional products. Their guiding philosophy, science first, is demonstrated by a commitment to research-driven products, synergistic formulations, and meaningful quantities of therapeutic ingredients. Find them at www.designsforhealth.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. I am your host, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Today, I am thrilled, honored, excited to be talking to Dr. Anna Kobeka. She is a longtime friend and colleague. In fact, I think, I think I've known you, Anna, for my really basically my entire career. I've been uh, connecting with you. And I just love the work you're doing. So let me tell uh, New Frontiers about you. You're an Emory-trained uh, board-certified gynecologist and obstetrician. And in addition, uh, Dr. Kabeka is board-certified in anti-aging and regenerative medicine and an expert in functional medicine and women's health. She specializes in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and natural alternatives, uh, successful menopause, and age management medicine. In addition to her private practice, Dr. Kabeka is a frequent national and international speaker on on restorative and women's health issues. She serves as a consultant and trainer for other physicians in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine principles. Dr. Kobeka is the co-creator of the Sexy Younger You Telesummit and the creator of the highly acclaimed virtual transformation programs, womensrestorativehealth.com and sexualcpr.com. Dr. Kobeka is passionate about supporting women in creating health and hormone balance for themselves as as well as for many generations to come. Dr. Kobeka, I, it's just a warm welcome to New Frontiers. I am just thrilled to have you here today. Well, I am thrilled to be here, Karen. It's been wonderful to watch you and your career and your development and what you've been doing in this world. It's just been super amazing. <laughs> Yay. Likewise. Likewise. I mean, you're a font of knowledge in the women's health arena, and I'm just so excited to get to do a concentrated brain picking of Dr. Kabeka today. So I really want to jump right in and um, start mining those pearls from you. Uh, let's talk about, you know, standard of care for women's health. And specifically, we're looking at, peri at perimenopause and menopausal women, although, you know, definitely chime in around premenopausal women as well. Um, you know, in the various hormone changes, um, you know, that we undergo from, you know, ages 30 and up. Talk to me about standard of care. I mean, you've got a very traditional, solid training, and you've transitioned into functional medicine full on. And so, you know, what are you seeing there? And, and, and what prompted your shift? Yeah, no, it's super exciting, actually, as I kind of developed in my career and, and integrated the concepts from standard gynecology and obstetrics, but also I went to Emory, an allopathic institution as an osteopathic physician with a very holistic mindset. And so mm. functional medicine was the next step. And then working in sexual health and bioidentical hormones was key because I, I came to practice on a small island, right, in Southeast mm -hmm. Georgia as a National Health Service Corps scholar. And I was the end all. And I had to be wow. very resourceful in what I had to develop for my clients. So what, wow. I, what I noticed is um, that, uh, you know, what we were doing in our 
clinical practice was just pretty much band-aiding to wait for the next sequence of events to evolve. Mm-hmm. And and that was really frustrating. In many cases, unacceptable. Many clients couldn't afford surgeries, couldn't afford many expensive prescription drugs. Huh. So I, I would like to kind of give the scenario of the typical client coming in as, as, she's, as she's going through um, early perimenopausal transition or early hormone changes. And really what our patients are dealing with today, the clients that come to our functional medicine practice have maybe already received part or some of this you know, these concepts of, of standard care. And so I'd love to talk through that and then how my practice evolved to kind of not need this. Yes, please do. Okay, great. So, you know, typically we're going to start to see hormonal changes in women um, around the age of 30s. And I'm kind of starting to laugh because the statistic struck me right now that one in three of us, so, you know, one in four, one in three, it was one in four by 2010 are in the um, menopausal, perimenopausal age range. So one in hmm. three, probably more likely one in three, one in four uh, of us are in the perimenopausal age group. And I'm like, we need to get our mood stable. We need yes. to yeah, yeah. Part of society, right? Yeah. It will make a difference. So but in the age typically around age 35, our hormones are going to start to shift. And, and clients came in here, you know, regularly complaining of mood swings, irritability, PMS symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. And so we know that as you know, as as their doctor, because of these PMS symptoms, what we have to do to treat them is to give them an SSRI, right? Just pile on the Prozac now called Seraphim or whatever new medication is in your drug sampling cabinet. And let's give that mm-hmm. to them daily or just the last two weeks of their cycle in the luteal phase from the day of ovulation until the day of first bleeding, which we call cycle day one. So, so that's, a, that's a standard of care philosophy. And so that may help with the PMS, but the client will typically come back having irregular periods, ovarian cysts, more painful cycles, heavier periods, mm-hmm. and um, continued symptoms of PMS. And so we will then prescribe birth control pills. Well, let's just knock this down. Even if you've had your tubes tied, this may be, you know, the answer to your problem. So let's just knock out your HPAT axis communication system altogether. And let's just suppress the ovaries and kind of get that stable. And certainly there are benefits to that. Kind of get your feet on the ground, et cetera. But lo and behold, uterine fibroids develop. You continue to have irregular breakthrough bleeding. It's uncomfortable. You just know that you are alien to your own body. Mm. And so the next answer coming in would be, okay, well, you know, we can do an endometrial ablation. We can do a DNC. We can then proceed with a hysterectomy. And since you're over age 40, let's go ahead and take the ovaries out so you don't have the risk of a cancer. Wow. And, you know, and as I dug into this, research shows our 65-year-old plus ovaries are still producing hormones and are still hugely involved in the, in the um, you know, communication system, as well as if we maintain our ovaries, we have a reduced risk of, a, of cardiovascular disease. So the research is out there. Yeah. But then, so what happens? We've treated this client as a gynecologist and you know, really loving our patients and wanting to do what's best for them and using what's in our toolbox with our armamentarium of our prescription pad and our surgical knife. And our client is still struggling. She has um, a decreased libido, is really having difficulty in her marriage. She's continuing with fatigue. She has short-term memory loss. And she doesn't even remember the last time she had sex. And that's not because of the short-term memory loss. And then she has lack of concentration. So sensate focus 
focus is out. So sex life is really diminishing. She mm -hmm. may experience thin, drying skin. And um, the other things that are going on are aches and pains and sleep disturbances. And that continues. It doesn't bode well for the marriage and her next appointments may be for a divorce attorney and a psychiatrist. Right. right? And it's, right. it's sad to say, but it's true. And I've seen this happen um, in my practice as well as in clients that I've seen come in looking for finally an alternative way of care. Yeah. And early on, I just started, you know, understanding and researching, okay, what can I do? Right. And I started balancing with bioidentical progesterone. When patients came into me, they would get a series of comprehensive labs and I would start them on my detox program, mm -hmm. get them on the modified elimination diet, 21 day detox, run some labs, put yep. some bioidentical progesterone on them and some key nutrients as I start to figure out, you know, this is a decade and a half ago, um, that all, all uh, vitamins are not created equal. I was really surprised. And, yes. um, and, and I started using nutrients and the client would come back in six weeks saying, Hey, gosh, my symptoms are better. I mean, like I don't even have symptoms. I couldn't even tell my period was coming. Right. And I was shocked because that, <laughs> I didn't learn that, you know? Right. I mean? Right. Listen, I just want to back up and just kind of underscore some of the amazing things you've just said. So you're, you're, I know you're on an island in Georgia. I was in Atlanta for my postdoctorate training, and I know that's when we connected, you know, a, a, some years ago now. You're, you're, the, you're the guy on the island. You're serving this population, and the buck stops with you. You are using, you are using really sophisticated, totally standard of care um, medicine with this population because I know you want to do right by your patients and you're really bright so you're drilling down into the literature and you you were using you know surgical interventions you were using the latest drug interventions and 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 you outlined the progression of what would happen with these top standard of care interventions and each one you just went through how they would fail and your woman and, and your patients would come back with these you know this additional evolution of 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 uh, symptomatology and then you would go to this and that and this other and you so you were witnessing as you're the guy on this island that your patients were just suffering and then their lives would suffer and their relationships would suffer and I I can imagine that must have been an extremely heartbreaking process for you as wanting to you know you're the you're the healer out there and so that prompted you obviously on your own journey to begin to you know drill down into what the alternatives were and I know that's where we are now and where you'll pick up on, on this really interesting story, but you just, you started to discover, you know, years ago that a little bit of bioidentical progesterone, you know, a little bit of detox went a long way. And um, so, so, so pick up from there because it's really a powerful personal story, you know, your evolution as a healer and discovering that. So I wanted to, you know, just underscore it. Um, and then what happened, you know, as yeah. you were doing this, go ahead. So, and a parallel vein, right? The you know, treating women with sexual health issues was happening at the same way. Right. But in, in that concept of perimenopause, right, and the menopausal um, symptoms, I mean, you know, I, I'll tell you honestly, I went from operating two to three times a week to eventually referring out one to two times you know, one to three surgeries per year. Wow. Okay. So that's a difference. I mean, I yeah. definitely, I think I did, you know, pray and believe that I did a lot of good with the surgical interventions. But as I worked at addressing functional root causes, I no longer needed to carry my high surgical. I mean, I wasn't operating enough to justify my surgical, um, 
malpractice insurance. So I ended up referring out two to three surgeries per year. So I mean, that's just kind of that's incredible tra- transition, you know, yeah. and it was, um, and it, often it was because an endometrial uh, cancer was diagnosed at the time of first visit, you know, mm-hmm. something like that was where I couldn't get in, but I would still work with them preoperatively to have the best postoperative outcome. And so that kind of evolved. But at the same time, Kara, I have to tell you, like in, in my evolution, there certainly was a personal evolution and a professional evolution. But in another reign of my professional revolution, which, you know, developed further developed my expertise in, in sexual health was like in my first, seriously, my first month of practice down here in Southeast Georgia, mm-hmm. I had a 64 year old woman who had come in with a history of ductal carcinoma in situ of the right breast, which was diagnosed at age 58. So five years prior, and she was treated at Emory University and had, um, was a, was this, dynamic, um, five foot 10, 155 pound, you know, white hair, tall, thin woman, who is a CEO of a biotech forum saying, you know, I've waited three months for my appointment with you when I knew you were coming and you were from Emory. You know, I have lost my sex drive. I've had this DCIS and I have terrible vaginal dryness. My sex life is very important to me. I'm a woman of the 60s and my relationship suffering. And doctor, what are you going to do? Uh-huh. <laughs> no pressure. So, yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. And I was like, okay, let me look at my... Let me look in my doctor's bag, right? What do I have for this woman? I'm sure to have something. And I looked and I looked. I'm like, okay, well, the, you know, Emery said that, you know, she can't use any hormones. What's going on with that? Let me look at the research. I was a researcher for the Navy in hyperbaric and medicine and exercise physiology before I went to medical school. So I had that. So I love the research, you know, and I looked deeply into it and I started recognizing, well, the research shows from remote research shows that vaginal estrogen has a beneficial effect in clients, even if they had breast cancer, not saying DCIS, you know, I mean, noting the difference, she only had DCIS, right? right? Right. So, um, well, vaginal estrogen has some benefits, decreases morbidity and mortality in clients with a history of breast cancer. And um, then what about testosterone? And what about progesterone, bioidentical progesterone? What's the mechanism of action? Mm-hmm. And so, lo and behold, it was funny, though, Kara, I have to tell you that I remember that I did her blood work. I'm like, okay, well, let me look at her labs and see what her hormone levels are. And um, it, estrogen was less than 20, progesterone was less than one testosterone was zero according to the labs and this is in 1999 and they were all read as normal <laughs> oh my gosh yeah right 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 the reference ranges are horrific right right they were i was like testosterone zero normal okay yeah. i cannot trust this yes you know and so that dug me on another aspect okay well what really is not forget normal let's look at optimal right right yeah and so I treated her with estrogen vaginal cream. I treated her with androgen therapy, testosterone, uh, sublingual, and I used a progesterone cream on her. And, and, you know, what I saw her over the decades as I treated her was improved bone mineral density, improved sex life, restoration of her just sense of focus and authority and self. Mm-hmm. where often I hear women complain, like I feel, especially that low androgen symptoms of I lost my edge. And so, you know, at, at 74, she was still lobbying on Capitol Hill skiing. Mm-hmm. Last time I saw her, she had, um, before I retired my clinical medical practice, um, she had uh, 
was on like was with a, a crutch and I'm like what happened and she goes well I was skiing some black slopes in Colorado and <laughs> I'm like okay well that's okay <laughs> you know right you completely recovered from that but you know those are things I saw and that was hugely empowering so that also you know case after case of that in, enabled me to help others in the in the sexual health and and um, recognizing too that we can't just heal the body. We have to heal, and especially working as a gynecologist in sexual health and as, as providers, we have to heal not just the individual physically, we have to heal the individual emotionally and relationally. And so it's nice that we can get them physically better, but if we don't hear the, heal the, the relationship, that side, like treat the client as a team, a partner, mm-hmm. that makes a really big difference. And I learned that. And that's why I created the sexual CPR program to really help clients kind of develop that repertoire and improve their levels of intimacy, not just physiology. There's several layers when it comes to sexual health that are so vitally important to be addressing. Uh, so you're really looking at the mind-body connection in that program. That's wonderful. Is that an ongoing program? We'll, we'll definitely have the links that I mentioned in your bio and uh, anything else that you want to connect people to on the, um, on the webpage for our podcast. Uh, but that's ongoing, so we could refer patients to it that we thought. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah, it. absolutely. There's a, you know, complimentary help doctor. My sex drive has no pulse, you know, introductory uh, webinar that's about an hour and a half long and that's you know free for clients and then the sexual CPR program is a seven-week series so a lot of good information in that and it's ongoing it's evergreen oh that's wonderful okay yeah. now listen just going back to sort I know clinicians are going to be wondering I'm wondering with regard to and, and I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit but <laughs> you've talked about labs and you talked about the horrifically huge reference ranges that are virtually useless and I'm just I'm curious now what you're using to assess hormones you know what labs do you consider to be reliable well you know it's gone uh, you know I have had the pendulum swing I have done you know thousands of dollars worth of testing on clients. And then I worked on minimizing it, you know, for when we absolutely need it. And as a clinician, there's the art of medicine, you really get in tune through, you know, 90% of our diagnosis is based on our history and physical, right? The other 10% may include labs. And so 90% is a huge amount. So we can learn a lot through questionnaires. And I've developed some questionnaires. And, and, and just in, in interaction, you start to identify um, the signs and symptoms and be able to evaluate them. So I would say that, you know, eyes don't see what the mind don't know. So when that's an Emory saying, actually, <laughs> but um, so learning, you know, learning what what's going on, but I, I had to go through the whole, the whole realm. And, and I think we met way back when I was in, at um, consulting um, at Metametrics, what I wanted was a women's health profile, which I created mm-hmm. there yeah. that, incorporated many of the functional tests that I really wanted to see in, in pre-pregnancy and menopause, et cetera. And, um, and that was a huge, that was a huge eye opener for me, but again, it was very expensive. Not everyone could do it. So I have tested every body fluid there is from an individual. I have looked at saliva, I've looked at urine, I've looked at vaginal fluids, stool cultures and, right. and these, right. 
and um, pretty blood serum, you know, and, and, and there's a difference. I've actually lectured on the differences in hormone testing and blood serum and saliva. And there are different times and reasons to use the different body fluids. But what I created, you know, what I've come to do in like my coaching kind of practice is, is look at, you know, initially baseline serum labs. I get those results really, really quick. Uh And through that and questionnaires, but I'll look at, I mean, the key labs that I really want to look at, you know, won't surprise you, but may surprise other people is the HSCRP, the highly sensitive C-reactive protein Uh is the hemoglobin A1C is vitamin D 25 hydroxy and um, DHEAS. When we're looking in the serum, we're looking at DHEA sulfate. When we're looking in the saliva, we're looking at straight DHEA. But um, so those are four baseline. And then we'll add on, you know, hormone panels, which will include, you know, estradiol, total estrogens, progesterone, free and total testosterone. And that I like via LCMS. Now there are different ways that your lab may test, but Mm -hmm. liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry for your free testosterone levels is really important. Um, Noting that if a client is on transdermal gels or creams, you're not going to pick that up with LCMS in the blood. So it's that specific. So um, only we'll look at endogenous levels or if you're being injected with testosterone. So that's a help. That's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And then um, DHEAS and then, you know, uh, sex hormone binding globulin. I, I want to watch that over time. The first time I do it, it may not. And the same thing, the first, you know, labs are, labs are done at a certain instance in time. So I'll, I'll touch on when I want to look at labs. That's really, really important, especially when we're talking about hormones. But additional hormonal labs will include, um, I said DHEAS, we'll do a morning cortisol. Also, your TSH, free T3, free T4, thyroid antibodies, mm-hmm. reverse T3. So you want to look at the comprehensive um, thyroid, and I'll look at a ferritin. I'll look at IGF-1. And so that's really comprehensive. But if I had to just get four tests for any client, those would be the first four I mentioned. Okay. And, and then when we test, in menstruating women, it's really important. If we're looking at, you know, um, ovarian function, you know, or fertility, we want to do cycle day three, estradiol, FSH, LH, any other time during the cycle, it doesn't tell me anything. If a woman's on birth control, it doesn't tell me anything. If she's on birth control pills, let me say that. Mm -hmm. It won't tell me anything. We cannot judge a woman's hormones adequately if she's on birth control pills. So in a menstruating women off birth control pills, I'm going to look at at, you know, day three, estradiol, FSH, LH, to look at ovarian reserve function, possibly, and then at peak hormone levels between cycle day 19 to 21. Now, many of your clients are having irregular cycles and may not know. That's okay. Let's just choose a day around day nine. Yes. If we know they're ovulating, let's just choose a day. And when we do follow-up labs, let's do it on that same cycle day. So yeah. that's as close to Apple's, you know, matching test as possible also the same time of day before exercise and if they're on hormones i always say six hours after their morning dose of hormones and so there's some arbitrariness in that but it's consistent keeping your consistent from when you're checking time and time again to the best of your ability or when you're looking at hormones especially in women you want to know what was going on and men too fasting before exercise um Let's look. Yep, got it. Okay, and right now I think you've been talking about 
uh, serum, basically, correct? Yes. You haven't, yeah. Okay, good. So for yeah. that, so for folks interested in the testosterone pearl you shared, as well as you know every all the other labs you've mentioned, um, we're talking serum here. Serum, and the reason is because I get those labs back in two to three days, right? Yep. And, yeah. and then you're going to include your, you know, beautiful, like Berkeley lipid panel, you're going to include a red blood cell, zinc and a red blood cell magnesium, not like not serum magnesium, I won't, mm -hmm. I don't care what that is, really, I want to look at the red blood cell magnesium It's typically low in all of us. So I may or may not add that on depending on expense. Yeah, okay. Okay, that's, that's terrific. Um, now let's just I wanna I could talk to you all day about labs. I just really appreciate that. I so it would be an easy rabbit hole for me to go down. I I'm gonna ask you one more question, then I wanna move over talking about a little bit more about what's happening in menopause and, and you know and what you yeah. do. And because you cast a wide net, you're using a full functional medicine approach. So I wanna yeah. get to as much of what you're doing. I wanna get to botanicals too. But yeah. just my last question, Anna, are you looking these days at estrogen metabolites? Are you, you know, yes. looking at how you know single nucleotide um, SNPs and and influence of of those on um, hormone metabolism. Can you just say a few things? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think again, you know, start with the basics, get them as cleaned up as possible, and then mm -hmm. fine tune. Is what I found is like what you know. There are there are few clients that can take can handle the information overload of everything up once. Believe me, I've I've done that to quite a few, <laughs> and so. <laughs> But what I found, and, and from training nurse practitioners actually, was that their you know, approach was, okay, one step at a time, and patients really don't feel overwhelmed with that. And so that's kind of like how I would intake clients, get those core labs, have them do their detox, come back to see me in six weeks. And then, you know, you go on, you go on from there, looking at urinary metabolites. Yes, I think urinary hormone testing, like the Dutch labs, precision labs, um, mm -hmm. you know, what we did in functional medicine labs at Metametrics, now Genova with the women's health profile. I mean, there's so many good, um, such good information in that. I mean, you know, I found that for my myself and my client, especially when fine tuning nutrients, fine tuning nutrients, yeah. you know, and trying to use the minimum, you know, we don't want handfuls of, of supplements, we really want to work on the lifestyle, which really makes a difference. And this is kind of where it started to blow my mind and change my practice, especially treating clients at menopause. Um, but so I would treat, you know, I will look at, I would look at saliva, I could look at, you know, depends if they're, you know, I could spend an hour talking about this for sure. So, um, but I think the different, it's, it goes into what works best for you and your clinical management and follow up. But I think yeah. there's validity in looking at all of the ways our hormones are circulating and communicating with us. But estrogen metabolites is key. Looking at, I think we should have a 23andMe in general, but I think definitely look at methylation is mm -hmm. huge for women. And this is again assuming no one's had a history of breast cancer. Once there's a history, I mean, if there's a history of yes. breast cancer or a risk of breast cancer, these are mandatory. We need to know their vitamin D level. We need to know their methylation status. We need to know, you know, on and on and on, their estrogen metabolites. We, you know, I mean, I think there's value for all of that. But we're going to see it, and this is where I came to kind of develop my Magic Menopause program that just launched, magicmenopause.com. And um, we, I do it live. I'll probably create it into an evergreen in the future, but 
what I worked on is that some of the things that works when we're really resilient in our 20s and 30s, and that really works well for men and hormones, um, doesn't work well for us when we get into menopause. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I would say I, I, I claim myself a menopause expert because I've now been in the menopausal time frame three times menopausal diagnosis. So at age 39 with premature menopausal failure, then, then um, you know, in my mid 40s, post a very significant stress time, and now at age 50, yeah. um, periodically uh, pop into um, a very definitely a perimenopausal status. And my clients suffer too 10 to 15 years perimenopause. But what's going on there? There's a big function of stress and, and life circumstances that can drive our hormone levels. But what happens as our neuro, you know, really our HPA T G axis is kind of switching or changing or evolving, let's say, uh, there are certain things we do better and certain things we don't do better. So I do want to mention that one thing we do better as women in our 50s is hold on to calories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. <clears throat> Conserve weight. And um, care. So one of the big things that I've been working on is is really getting clients, and this is what I did in, in part of my detox with hormones, is getting patients alkaline first, right? Mm. We want them to, and I have them created these little urine test strips that include pH on them and ketones so that my clients can very cheaply for pennies a day just check are you alkaline throughout the day that's really key and 90% of my current group of women in magic menopause at the start of this program were not consistently alkaline so 90% of you know women who thought too they were doing the right thing all along right not consistently alkaline with a urinary pH and yes there's you know a lot of uh conversation that can evolve around this, but that's a key point. And then figuring out, okay, well, what do we need to do to get into this fat burning mode? And why can't we get there? And um, very, or why, this is my, so key, you know, the benefits we know from functional medicine, just the benefits of ketogenic diet, intermittent mm-hmm. fasting, and, yep. and certainly we recommend a very holistic type of ketogenic diet. I'm like, okay, well, when I tried um, ketogenic diets, and when I try to put my hormonally uh, fragile women on ketogenic diets, we get, we had, we experience something I like to call keto crazy and keto crazy is not a good place to be. And so what do we have to do to kind of figure this out? And and I I had my 90 year old father living with me suffering from kidney disease at the time. And I was like, okay, dad, you got to be on this ketogenic diet, but I go crazy. I got to figure this out. And I started checking my pH again and thinking, wow, I'm really acidic during this. What if I get alkaline? And, and, you know, maintain this, you know, alkalinity with getting my body into fat burning mode and checking for urinary ketones. And lo and behold, it's a huge evolution. And in maintaining that was able to drop 18 pounds and just have this experience of energized enlightenment. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what Jesus must have experienced in the Garden (laughs) of Gethsemane, you know, truthfully energized enlightenment. And that makes a difference because often these ketogenic plants, we're not doing them correctly. We're not eating enough vegetables, right? Right. but it's 25%. Yeah. I will say this is my statistic. So I haven't verified this, but I would say, you know, our health or optimal health is 25% diet and exercise. Right. And the same with keto alkaline. So if we're not walking in nature, if we're not, you know, reducing the EMFs, if we're not sleeping well, we're not going to be able to maintain a healthy keto alkaline status. And yes, again, there are limitations to urinary testing. 
uh, for ketones. But let me tell y'all, when we get these women, like I've run now over 300 women through my magic menopause program, when we get them persistently alkaline, their life shifts. Not only that, their relationships shift their weight shifts, their quality of life shifts, and they get a you know twinkle in their eyes again. And that's huge. That's amazing. So you can actually, so what vaginal pH are you going for? What's your optimal range? No, so this was, this was urinary pH. So I'm urinary sorry. pH yeah, testing urinary. for yeah. um, um, alkalinity and for ketones. So for urine pH, I, I want to see a pH of seven. Okay. I just want to see a pH of seven. Okay. And that's it. So on my strips, it's just like, show me some green. Yeah. And that makes it really easy for women that can't, you know, I mean, my women aren't, you know, not there. They're, they're doing virtual program. Like many of um, your providers may have virtual programs. So I'm not testing them or ordering specific labs for them. So they're able to kind of shift their body themselves by just checking to get alkaline and then bump their body periodically into a ketogenic state. And then we can reliably look at urine ketones. Once we're in ketogenic state for a long time, we're not going to see it in our urine. But hello, in America, show me a woman that's persistently ketogenic. I mean, that might be a, a 0.00001% of us. So um, so let's use something cheap and, and effective and also allows women to do their kind of what I call their Nancy Drew detective work. So I want to see their vaginal pH of, of seven. I just want to see some ketones at least three days a week. Okay. And, and then, yeah, so that makes a big, that and makes what, a big difference. That's fabulous. This is such a great pearl. So the alkalinity is just keeping you accountable for veggie intake for, um, you know, probably loads of fabulous leafy greens and so forth. Just yes. making sure they're there. And then transitioning into a periodic ketosis is um is terrific what do you look for on your urine strips with ketosis trace small moderate yeah just just show me some like i would say show, I you want, some. show me some any, any change <laughs> yeah but then i always say what we want to see is like it, it's going to be great when you get the green and red going you feel like christmas it feels like christmas wow so, yeah it feels that i mean you do have this um you do have this amazing amount of energy and clarity. And it's interesting what can interfere with that in our lives. You know, mm. one bad night's sleep can bump us out of alkalinity. You know, medications can bump us out of alkalinity. But the, also, ketogenic diets will make women acidic. Maybe in men, men are yes. more able to stay alkaline better. But in women, it is not ideal without adding on. And there's a fine line because, you know, to be in ketosis, to be fat burning, and to have enough alkaline carbs, right, could push us out of ketosis. So there's a fine line that right. women will have to work, you know, women and men will have to work on to get to that state. But I believe that will be a state of optimal health. Wow. Very, Very inexpensive. Yeah. yeah, extremely inexpensive. Really, really useful. I appreciate that. We're going to start using... Yeah, urine pH strips. We're definitely going to use this in my practice. There's no doubt about it. Um, and it's so helpful that you're leaning on the um, lifestyle piece because you're absolutely right. And I do see that in my in my women in in my patients who are who are very weight loss resistant. There's always, I mean, you know, so many of us women in our 40s. 40s and 50s, we're burning the candle at both ends. I mean, we've got epic responsibilities and sleep is sacrificed, you know, self-time is sacrificed, getting outside in nature, all of these important things. I know, I mean, I struggle with balance in my life and, and see it in my, you know, in my um, 
female patients as well. So that's a, just a, such a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous pearl. Um, and again, we'll have your websites on our, um, on our page. So let's talk a little bit more though about, you know, what you're thinking with regard to, um, you know, to menopause. And you had mentioned in your early evolution, um, you're, you know, you're using bioidentical hormones and, but you're also, I know you're using some botanicals in there as well. And, you know, can you, can you tell me about that and, and what you might be doing now? And yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things that, you know, I, I um, had started using in my practice were absolutely botanicals, specifically maca, right? Mm-hmm. And it actually had formulated, um, part of my story is that um, I had left my medical practice for a year in 2006 and, and took my kids, homeschooled them, traveled around the world, and I learned from healers around the world, and I learned medicinal foods. I, part of that was a, a healing journey for me and my family, and so I came across and learned about different botanicals. I kind of grew up in a Middle Eastern household, um, a philosophy of food as medicine, like my mom would always say, okay, if you want to get straight A's, eat this za'atar, which is thyme and sesame and olive oil mix, you know, eat the za'atar with olive oil, and, and you'll get smart, and uh, <laughs> it will help you, and, I, and, you know, or if you have a bellyache, let's do this, and it will help you, and, and so, um, so I kind of grew up with that philosophy and then when I had gone through my own personal um, emotional and physical health crisis um, I just looked for answers and so I looked for spiritual answers and um, medical answers as well Mm -hmm. and so but that took me to healers of all kinds from the leaders of universities in New Zealand Israel Germany to um, indigenous healers in Indonesia Brazil Native American and um, Peru and so it was fascinating, but few of the ingredients that I learned from the foods that I believe helped me, number one, restore my fertility after a tremendous diagnosis of early menopause and inferti- permanent irreversible infertility, um, I um, started using many of these indigenous foods, including maca from Peru and and then spirulina and greens and, um, you know, different ingredients along the way. So, which is part of the reason I believe, you know, God had a strong hand in this and in my life and in, in the directions, but, um, you know, that I've restored my fertility. My fertility was restored. I, I got, became pregnant with a beautiful daughter, Ava Marie, mm. and, uh, and at 42. So that was huge. And so I learned and I wanted to bring that information too. I wanted to bring those ingredients in an easy way for my clients, for me primarily selfishly and my family. And so I worked to formulate my Mighty Maca Greens formula, which has maca in it. And I believe that's a key ingredient, but also the other natural, naturally anti-inflammatory or ingredients that support your natural inflammatory path, anti-inflammatory pathways or natural inflammatory response um, to help support that, including, you know, turmeric, including green tea extract, including, you know, our greens and enzymes. And una de gato, which is cat's claw, which is a potent, um, great um, ingredient herb to use, especially if there's a history of cancer. So uh, I, you know, 42 ingredients, I couldn't stop it by. 
but but I, I use that and as well you know the importance of oils you know omega threes uh -huh. ELA for breast health but now you know many women suffer from vaginal health issues mm -hmm. from vaginal dryness and from incontinence I mean the rows and rows of incontinence pads that you yeah. see in the grocery stores should alert us that there's a significant problem and women deal with this and they often de de deal with it silently and shamefully between lack of sexual desire lack of um, you know bladder control which starts right. to inhibit their activities including running jogging yoga you mm. know different things where they could um, lose bladder control and so, so I mean, it becomes significantly um, detrimental. And yeah. if we have time, I'll, I'll kind of give a scenario of, of what happens and like a, what kind of where I develop using vaginal hormones. I really would love your prescribers to be very comfortable prescribing vaginal hormones because it makes a difference. And I will lecture to a group of OBGYNs and, and physicians and ask how many people use vaginal hormones will write a vaginal hormone prescription other than estrogen and a fraction, if any, will raise their hands. And the important truth is, Kara, which I really want to emphasize to our listeners is that estrogen only works on the mucosa. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's what we will feel comfortable prescribing. But truthfully, what improves vaginal muscle and yeah. the, intima and the connective tissue is androgens. So testosterone, DHEA, I mean, you can use... Um, you know, these hormone prescriptions in your, you know, vaginally, and that totally regenerates and rejuvenates the vaginal tissue, sexual health, incontinent symptoms. And, and wow. similarly with my surgical practice of working on incontinent procedures, I went to, um, I mean, I used to operate doing bladder procedures. That was a key thing, treating incontinence. And, um, and then I started thinking, oh my gosh, well, there's all these, you know, you hear about the mesh erosions, thankfully, I've never had any. Yes, right. And so let me just use, you know, I would always use vaginal estrogen preoperatively. So then I started using vaginal DHEA and testosterone preoperatively and, and, and to improve my um, surgical procedure as well as the surgical outcome you want good tissue to suture right and mm -hmm. working on bladder slings vaginal prolapse all those things you want good tissue to work with and so I would start using vaginal androgen therapy so I my clients started coming back after you know for their preoperative visit after I put them on a month of vaginal hormones you know and then I would mm -hmm. have their pre-op and um, they would tell me, well, I'm not having any more leakage. I'm like, what? Jeez. I'm like, wait. <laughs> well, I guess I can't operate. And they're like, you mean I don't need surgery? I'm like, if you're not having symptoms, I don't need to operate. And I would re-examine them and their symptoms would improve and the objective data with urethral mobility and stuff would improve. And I'm like, whoa, this is blowing my mind. And then I started using it in clients who did have from other from other. Um, surgeries like mesh, mesh erosion or sutures penetrating through the vaginal mucosa and I started using vaginal hormones before I would repair the area and honestly it repaired itself and so I uh, went I remember one day I did six vaginal slings in one day and I haven't had to do another one in years so yeah so that's huge so vaginal hormones and then huge. Um, yeah and so um, it's been powerful let me well let me just let me so first of all I want to circle back I know I've you know the 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 maca products 
I, I know you've talked about them quite a bit and it just it sounds like you really made a beautiful formulation and is that available yeah absolutely okay. it's at mightymaka.com and we do have um, physician um, affiliate programs okay sounds fabulous and now I want to talk specifically um, about some of these hormonal protocols can you can you give me the lowdown of what you're doing in practice now because these are the vaginal hormonal protocols because everybody's going to want to know yeah, absolutely. And um, so one of the big things that I do with vaginal is what I, one of the things that I did is typically if I have a client who has significant incontinence symptoms, I would write a testosterone vaginal suppository. Now you're compounding, so none of this is available through you know, a standard prescription, you use a compounding pharmacy. Mm -hmm. So I typically, I started getting really creative. I worked with my comp, my compounding pharmacy to really create beautiful um, suppositories that um, are, are nourishing and, and small, not these big ones that they use for rectal. They'll often say, oh, well, let's use the rectal, vag <laughs> rectal suppository size for the vaginal. I'm like, ugh gross yeah. charge you know i mean it's just a mess but typically i would just start even with a vaginal cream you could use testosterone two to five milligrams with you know two to five milligrams of dhea um say if you're using a cream per ml mm -hmm. and begin at one ml daily for 30 days and then pretty much when symptoms resolve you can go to three to five times per week for maintenance, mm -hmm. very important. I may use um, weighted um, um, balls or they can do Kegel exercises also to kind of exercise the vaginal walls. We use um, something called Luna beads, but I think the green egg, you know, people are, uh, not the green egg, what's it called? <laughs> Jade egg, thank you. <laughs> I'm like thinking Thanksgiving turkey cooking in my green egg cooker. So Jade egg. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you could use those and it just, you know, something to exercise the vaginal walls or nothing, but just the hormone cream in and of itself and patients would do better. You can go up to 10 milligrams of testosterone, but only if you're, you know, have a, there's a significant issue and, you know, your patient tolerates. Now, this is a caveat that I've learned through my age management practices is that whenever we prescribe testosterone, male or female, that does also affect dopamine, which hence will affect novelty seeking behaviors, which may hence mm -hmm. not be conducive to healthy relationships. So <laughs> you need to really, you know, watch that and counsel on that because it's, it's a serious issue. I think especially with these testosterone clinics and testosterone, you know, high doses that are being given to both men and women and from many of my male colleagues that are, um, you know, have been using testosterone for a long time, the divorce rates are really high and that's not the goal. Wow. That's not the goal. So because, you know, one of my clients, you know, I would counsel on this and one of my male clients, I treated the, the wife and then him and he said, you know, doc, I've started this testosterone injection and I'm thinking thoughts about other women that I really don't want to be thinking and, and lo and be, you know, his dose was way too high. We stopped it and then restarted at half the dose because again, it's important to understand that, that physiology drives behavior. And if we're manipulating physiology, we may be manipulating behavior to the negative and not the positive. So that's important to recognize too. So that's a caveat to remember because when I'm talking about using hormones, we have to, you know, be very considerate of what we're doing. So again, yes. backing down, go, you know, start low, go slow. Mm -hmm. The same with vaginal hormones. But I like clients to see a result right away because using vaginal suppositories is not fun. 
And so that led me to create, you know, I'm always looking for solutions that are easy for women. So that led me to create my new cream called Jolva. And that's a topical cream with some plant stem cells and emu oil and coconut oil and DHEA in it to use on the vulva. Mm -hmm. And, um, And that's a beautiful cream to use that can just be restorative to the vulvar tissue, but also there's a good improvement in vaginal um, dryness and vaginal health as well. The other thing to remember when we're using vaginal hormones, and whether it's estrogen or androgen hormones, or, you know, again, restoring hormones uh, to the vulva as well, using a cream, hormone cream on the vulva, is that, you know, we're going to shift the flora, we're going to read, yes, we're going to go from Saharan to Amazon. <laughs> so if there's a um, increase in yeast growth, or, you know, if there's been candida dormant, or some uh, imbalance in the bacterial, door, you know, flora of the vagina, maybe clients will come back with a yeast infection, mm-hmm. or note a discharge. And so it's important to kind of know that, okay, if they get a yeast infection, that's fine, let's just treat it, that's been there. You know, it didn't cause it, but most likely those cells have been dormant. So, or that, back, you know, um, fungal has been there. And so we're just kind of creating a beautiful environment for it to thrive. So treat the anti, you know, that's something that you may get back is a um, fungal overgrowth. So just sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, maybe initial fungal overgrowth, but I know you're yeah. looking at diet because you've got this really cool keto alkaline yeah. plan that's going to be definitely tweaking the the vaginal microbiome and the gut microbiome you actually just sort of led us into the second my my next question is because i know you're thinking about you know the global microbiome but you know with an emphasis on vaginal um so i would say that you know maybe you have this baseline yeast infection that you address but then are you doing other things to inhibit the you know diet is in there but just the continuation of yeast infection oh yeah absolutely i mean you know plus like with my vulvar cream there's coconut oil in there there's the alpine plant stem cells so antiviral antifungal in and of itself okay Okay. but i think coconut oil is a you know is a great lubricant and it has naturally antifungal too so using that for vaginal dryness or as a lubricant is a great add-on Additionally, uh, one thing Kara, I always tell my clients is just keep your jar in the kitchen and a separate jar in the bedroom. Do not cross pollinate the two. Very important. (laughs) (laughs) And that will line up their um, attitude about it. So I think that's a really good thing to do. But probiotics, sometimes using them vaginally as well as orally, but typically oral probiotics in a healthy diet, healthy fish oils and high DHA content foods like we're doing with the keto aspects of our, of our program. But Mm -hmm. those are tremendously beneficial for vaginal health and maintaining a healthy vaginal floor. Mm, That's what, that's just wonderful. Mm -hmm. Loads of pearls. I just, I really appreciate it. Are you thinking about, I mean, I know with vaginal hormones you're obviously avoiding first pass so they're safer um are you thinking about detox just maintaining healthy detox in your patients as well is that a a piece of the puzzle here ongoing ongoing Kara. ongoing and i think as as you know how do we know we're doing a good job on it check your urine make sure your ph is alkaline at least wake up with a ph of seven mm-hmm. you know, crazy day may get you acidic but like let's let our body restore and rejuvenate overnight. So let's try to wake up 
with a pH of seven, you know, ha not having, you know, and also the keto principle of at least keeping 13.5 hours between dinner and breakfast, aiming for 15 hours. And then we've kind of got that keto alkaline protective. There's a research paper that came out this spring looking at um, breast cancer and interval between, you know, uh, intermittent fasting. So interval between dinner and breakfast of 13.5 or over 12.5 hours had a significantly decreased risk of breast cancer. So if we just are adhering to those principles, awesome. But when we can actually test and figure out what our body's doing and how we get there, that's hugely beneficial. Like I said, I've had 300 women in my programs from all over the world. And, and what we, um, what I recognize is that, you know, some, some women do it easily and some women don't. Some women who are, have thought they've been doing everything right and then finally figure out, okay, well, here were some hidden sabotages. No wonder, right? And mm -hmm. just changes the entire quality of our life. Mm. And, um, and what I, would be, give me an example, like what would, what might a hidden sabotage look like? So, for example, I have this one beautiful woman who always juices, right? Mm. And so here, lo and behold, she's juicing to do well, but she could, she was completely acidic. Well, well, heck, that shouldn't be right. There's a lot of alkaline, you know, alkaline fruits and alkaline vegetables. Why would that be? Well, I, her hemoglobin A1C was up, so she was getting too much carbs, mm -hmm. way too much sugars, and we could. It took us four weeks to get her into fat burning mode to get ketones on her. Okay. As shifted things out. So that's one thing. Another thing is certainly I uh, had one client who was always waking up acidic and she's like, I don't get it. And then her evening medication, once she stopped it, um, uh, she was waking up alkaline and felt tremendously better. Okay. So a medication could be a hidden sabotage and like, you know, who knew, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. All right, so I know we're kind of, we're heading towards the end. I wanted to ask you, um, you know, memory. So what's, and it, it, it does, I was just reading it. Oh, by the way, actually, before I forget, ironically enough, that one site, the, the paper that you just mentioned regarding that fasting period between breakfast and lunch and breast cancer, if you could just send me that reference, I will post it on the site, you guys. I'll post that citation on the site. Yeah. Um, that would, it sounds really, uh, really interesting. And I know folks would want to take a look at it. Um, so interest. So, so women, I was, re I, I just heard a, a, a piece of research that came out recently. Um, you know, women have better memories than men until they hit menopause and boom, then their memories are worse than men. I mean, what, you know, what, what are you doing there? I'm sure this overall plan is helping, but just any, you know, what are you thinking about with regard to the, just like the brain fog, just the, the pesky memory you know, executive function stuff that happens oh my uh, during this time. Yeah, totally. I, I Send me that link for that research paper. <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious about it. But I will tell you, yes, brain fog is a huge issue for us in the perimenopause and menopause. And, and again, when we use progesterone, you know, especially if women have had their uterus removed and they've been only on estrogen. But um, if we, when we start using bioidentical progesterone, patients reported back to me, I feel like the fog has lifted over and over again. Now, progesterone is huge for memory, right? We've got progesterone receptors within our brain, and that's why they've been researching progesterone for traumatic brain injury, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So progesterone is huge. And my combination, my Pure Balance Cream is a progesterone-pregnenolone combination. So that is you know, great research for that in memory. And I, I so I love the combination of the two, progesterone and pregnenolone. Now let's take into consideration what's happening in the perimenopause, menopause, but also, Kara, when women have had any like 
myself included, experience of a traumatic event, so PTSD, or women who have had early childhood trauma, or veterans from war, uh, female veterans from war experience a very tumultuous time in the menopause, and what is and is and especially with memory loss. And what we're seeing is that um, cortisol dysfunction mm-hmm. creating memory loss, and so really reestablishing the balance and reestablishment of a healthy circadian rhythm, healthy sleep cycles, getting alkaline, which will increase our ability to balance cortisol. I would say alkalinity helps with cortisol. Uh, Ketosis helps with insulin sensitivity. So those are my two huge concepts. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, then oxytocin, the crowning hormone is the hormone of, of life in general. So go into that. But but with memory loss, this is huge. And I think that it's devastating for us when we're experiencing that. And personally, PTSD took my memory to the cleaners, basically. And that's when I started recognizing where I had a, a you know, a pretty darn excellent memory, especially a visual memory and an auditory memory. Um, PTSD took that memory away. And, and so studying how to restore it mm-hmm. is huge. And until I get and stay, when I get into this ketoalkaline state that I'm talking about, there's so much clarity. And yes, I'm using progesterone cream. And yes, I'm using DHEA, my vulvar cream. And um, yes, I'm a proponent for bioidentical hormones and nutrients and supplements. But now that, you know, can really check and see that, okay, I'm, I'm getting into this ketoalkaline state regularly, the fog clears. And for women in the menopause, for whatever revolutionary or evolutionary reason, that, that design of being um, um, carb restricted, but yet with beneficial alkalinizing ingredients makes a difference on our memory. And that's mm-hmm. huge. But the studies aren't there yet. Mm-hmm. Well, Hopefully you'll. Pop. It sounds like you're pulling together a good database. You'll need a um, a postdoc in there. Yeah, <laughs> right up all the one. I know, I know. Oh, Anna, it was just so great to talk to you today. There, you've just given us epic pearls. I'm sure that anybody, you know, any clinician, any any just regular person listening to this. Um, podcast is going to be so inspired by your message, you know, your own journey, your journey as a healer, just all of it is wonderful. And the work that you're doing and the, you know, just your inspiration around creating these products and these programs, they make so much sense and they're so grounded and, um, you know, effective. They just sound really, it just sounds like a, you know, you're just doing fabulous work for, for, um, for women's health, men's health, and, you know, the functional medicine community. And, you know, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. And I love learning and conversing with you. You definitely have a way of digging information out. We covered a huge amount. of. We covered a lot. We did. So everybody, I will be sure to put lots of links on the site. You'll be able to access Anna and her work. Um, And then, you know, you can certainly reach out to me if you have any questions. But um, I, I think you'll be able to find what you're looking for with her and her programs. All right. Again, Anna, thank you. Thank you.